Johnny Glazer, director of the China Power Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. This episode of the China Power Podcast is part two of a special two-part podcast on China and space. Part one explored China's military capabilities and ambitions in space. Today's episode will examine China's civilian space activities and interests. Xi Jinping has long championed space exploration and has pushed for becoming a global space power as part of the Chinese dream of national rejuvenation. Only three countries have achieved human spaceflight independently, the Soviet Union, the United States in early 1960s, followed by China in 2003. Though it has played catch-up in developing space technology, China has clearly made rapid strides in its space program. It is not two firsts in space this year related to a spacecraft landing and a satellite launch. More recently, China and other countries have started to explore the potential for space to become the new economic frontier. Futuristic-sounding ideas like moon mining and space tourism are all part of China's vision. To discuss China's civilian space program, its achievements and ambitions, I am joined by Alana Krolikowski. Dr. Krolikowski is an assistant professor of political science at the Missouri University of Science and Technology. Her research focuses on global policy efforts relating to activities at technological frontiers, including outer space, China-U.S. trade in high-technology items, and China's pursuit of national scientific and technological modernization. Alana, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So maybe you can describe for us the landscape of China's civilian and commercial space program. How does it compare if you look at uh, its goals, its budget and structure to other leading space powers like that of the United States and Russia? Sure. Um, One-to-one comparisons between different national space programs are really hard, Um, but we can certainly survey the landscape of of China's uh, space activities and get a sense uh, for just how significant Chinese accomplishments have been over the past couple decades. Um, To put it in perspective, um, the Chinese budget is estimated uh, by some sources um, as consisting in about $8 billion U.S. dollars of government spending on space per year. Contrast that with Russia's budget, which is um, a paltry $1.5 billion U.S. dollars. The American space budget, or at least official government spending on space programs, um, as estimated by, by various sources, uh, ranges over the past several years from, from, say, between $35 billion U.S. dollars to as much as $43 billion U.S. dollars a year. We get estimates like that from sources like the U.S. Space Foundation, um, a space industry association in the United States. Those budget figures um, certainly give you a sense of the, the magnitude of space activities, but um, they probably don't fully convey um, how enormous China's footprint on international space affairs has been. Now, for example, if you if you were to zoom way out, you'd get um, an understanding of the global space economy as worth about 400 billion U.S. dollars. China's government spending at 8 billion U.S. dollars uh, doesn't look like an enormous proportion of that. But China actually has one of the most dynamic civil space programs uh, in existence today. It has probably the world's most rapidly developing lunar programs, um, at least by some measures. So traditionally, China's space activities have mostly uh, been of three big types. There have been three big pillars to China's civil space program. 
The first of those um, consists in engineering programs, or what are called big engineering programs. Um, those include the Lunar Exploration Program, the Human Spaceflight Program. The second big bucket of Chinese space activities has uh, consisted in applications-related systems. So the building of big systems, big space systems that deliver some kind of good or service um, back on Earth. An example of that would be the Global Navigation Satellite System, the Beidou System, which is China's answer or China's version of the U.S. Global Positioning System. And a third, and the, probably the smallest um, piece of China's civil space activities, um, has uh, consisted in scientific programs. So, for example, parts of the Chinese lunar program that consist in, in experiments and data collection about the lunar surface, we would consider to belong to that, that third pillar of scientific activity. So that's been the bulk of what China has done in civil space for the past uh, couple of decades. More recently, in just the past few years, we've seen the emergence or the mushrooming of a new commercial space sector in China, which consists in a very large number of very young companies that are often compared to startups, um, as many as 100 little companies that are offering a wide range of uh, goods and services in space, like small launch vehicles, um, small satellites, for example, and very special specialized uh, instrumentation for, for satellites. Um, these companies are very numerous and they're rapidly growing and they're attracting a lot of private capital. There's as many as 100 companies described as being part of this new commercial based sector in China. Those companies between them attracted hundreds of millions of U.S. dollars of, of financing um, just in 2008. Um, so they're much younger than what we call commercial space companies like SpaceX in the United States, um, but they're growing very rapidly, and they're probably, they, they probably represent the biggest change in the Chinese space ecosystem um, of the past few years. So what is the relationship then between China National Space Administration, you know, the big government organization, and then the state-owned enterprises and the, the private companies within China's space sector. Are these closely aligned? They certainly work closely together, but they all do perform different functions in this system. Um, it's sometimes tempting to try and draw a parallel between uh, entities active in the U.S. space establishment and their Chinese counterparts, but there really are no perfect one-to-one -one comparisons. The, the China National Space Administration is sometimes compared to a NASA in the United States, and, and in some settings, it is NASA's counterpart, um, but it doesn't do as much as, as NASA does. CNSA is really the external relations arm of uh, the Chinese space establishment. It's mainly a bureaucracy that represents um, Chinese space organs um, at international meetings. That's kind of the smile and the handshake of the Chinese space program. The bulk of the work um, of building space systems is still done by large state-owned enterprises like China Aerospace Science and Technology Corporation, for example. They actually build most of the space hardware that's used in the missions, uh, most of these being really unique systems um, that, were, that are just made once. Uh, we see as offshoots of those state-owned enterprises, these budding new um, so-called private space startups emerging in China. They are companies that are sometimes compared to U.S. companies like SpaceX, except they're much younger. Um, and they are and technically private in the sense that they're, they're more largely owned by non-state entities than they are uh, owned by state entities. 
and they're primarily oriented toward serving commercial um, users, so launching, for, for example, commercial satellites. And finally, in, in relation to all those, um, there's always the People's Liberation Army, which still plays a big practical role in China's space program uh, in the sense that it manages on a day-to-day basis still most of China's launch infrastructure and launch sites. So China's now building its own space station, uh, apparently slated for completion in 2022. How is this space station going to advance China's uh, larger space ambitions and objectives? Yeah, this space station um, does really represent a very significant development. For China, it represents the logical culmination of a human spaceflight program uh, that's been active in some sense since the 1990s and that saw its first actual human mission in 2003. That program um, developed into a space lab program and it will now produce this permanent space station, which will give China the capacity to sustain a long-term human presence on orbit. That aspect of China's human spaceflight program is going to dovetail with um, its ambitions uh, for the lunar program, which might also entail establishing a longer-term human presence in space. Um, So it'll develop the capacity to study human health and performance in space in a way that'll serve other long-term objectives. And it's probably also worth remembering that China is not a member of the International Space Station. If the International Space Station um, does effectively cease its operations, There's likely to be a time, uh, or at least a period of a few years in the near future, during which the Chinese space station is the only, possibly the only long-term human habitat, the only long-term human outpost um, in space. On January 3rd of uh, this year, China became the first country to land a spacecraft on the on the far side of the moon. Uh, it's uh, Chang 4 Lunar Explorer landed there and uh, got a lot of media attention. And then another recent development was uh, July 25th when uh, iSpace became the first private Chinese company to send a satellite into orbit. So it, it seems like China's making some really important strides in these areas. How do you evaluate these achievements? Are they very significant? Do you think that we're going to see other important Chinese successes in the near future? Absolutely. Um, They're very significant. What some of these achievements mark um, are not only Chinese firsts or firsts for China, but firsts for the world. Um, And that really represents uh, or signals the tremendous advances that Chinese space programs have made. They're no longer catching up. Um, In many respects, they're really um, setting the agenda for future space activities. They're coming to define what discovery looks like in space and what innovation looks like. And examples of this are really multiplying. Um, There's, of course, the first soft landing on the lunar far side that you mentioned, uh, which gave us the first surface images of that part of the moon. Uh, China is home to the world's largest radio telescope, which is expected to make very significant advances in astronomy once it becomes operational, probably sometime this year. And um, Chinese scientists and engineers completed the first uh, quantum communication satellite experiment in 2017. Um, That really marked a world first, a proof of concept uh, level experiment and development. 
So um, China's advances are actually quite difficult to overstate. Um, all of these developments represent um, an important move toward the, the forefront or the vanguard of space activities for China. I wanted to ask you a question about regulations and laws in China regarding the commercial space sector or space in general and, and, and how they might affect China's uh, commercial sector. So apparently China released a set of rules to guide and regulate commercial space development, manufacturing, and, and launches in July. And there's also rumors that they're going to issue a new space law or something like that in the next uh, three to five years. So what is the purpose of these kinds of laws and regulations? What implications do they have for China and its uh, commercial use of space? I think anyone who watches China or the Chinese economy knows that the Chinese system is constantly reforming, constantly reforming itself. Um, and the space sector is really no different. Um, China's space activities have grown very, very significantly over the past couple of decades. There are also numerous um, and more diverse actors now that are active in space, not only as actual builders of space hardware, but also um, active in downstream industries that depend on space systems in one way or another. So in some ways, um, these new regulations, whether they're targeting commercial space or they're attempting to establish an overall national framework for space uh, regulation and legislation, they're um, almost inevitable. They represent a catching up of the institutions to the, the on-the-ground realities of this very dynamic sector. There is much to note about these regulations because they do give us a sense of what's coming. They give us a sense of how strong the political commitment to space development is. And they also give us a sense of the roles and responsibilities for different organs um, in the, the space establishment as it is evolving and re reforming itself. Um, for example, it is worth noting that um, the regulations governing commercial space activities, or at least outlining a framework that will come to regulate commercial space activities were produced by a state organ that is responsible for science, technology, and industry for national defense, um, and also jointly issued by an organ of the Central Military Commission. These guidelines, uh, even in this framework format that, the, that they exist in now, emphasize the guiding principle of civil and military integration, um, a longstanding idea governing um, how the Chinese state promotes scientific and technological advancement or innovation. The idea behind civil and military integration is that, of course, civilian technology ought to support the strengthening and modernization of the military, and advances in the defense industries also ought to benefit from and, in turn, yield benefits to the commercial economy. That principle is still alive and well, um, even in this latest round of regulatory elements for, for commercial space. So the, the regulatory vision and the legislative vision uh, for China's space development, I think we can see, retains that kind of emphasis on really building comprehensive national capabilities in every area of space um, and, and approaching the entire sector from a systemic kind of holistic standpoint, a sector that has these mutually supportive um, civilian and defense elements. One crucial driver of 
Chinese interest in space is is economic, and and we see Chinese state media uh, highlighting Chinese ambitions in in areas like asteroid mining, uh, other space resource uh, exploration, and 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 space tourism. How do you think that China might use space in the future for economic gains um, in, in other areas, and and are these opportunities or challenges for other countries? Um, I think that really depends. There are undoubtedly both. Um, I think it's fair to say uh, that observers of, of the Chinese space establishment will notice that there's virtually no area of space activity that China is entirely neglecting. There's at least some interest or activity or research in just about every area, including uh, possibly asteroid mining or the development of a lunar settlement, for example. The Chinese space establishment is really active in every one of these fronts that has some kind of potential long-term economic dimension to it. In the short term, though, probably by far the biggest economic benefits to be derived from space activities uh, really will come from terrestrial applications. So goods and services that are derived from space systems. And those include um, direct services, like, for example, positioning, navigation, and timing, uh, services on Earth um, given to us by satellites, or they might include, for example, the use of satellite-generated imagery and data uh, in weather forecasting, in resource mapping, and in other functions um, like that. And they also include, in addition to that, the many, many downstream industries that benefit from these space-derived goods and services in some form or another. So, for example, um, the very high volume of high-resolution satellite imagery that that China's uh, constellations are now able to deliver um, is in turn sustaining the development of a very large secondary data processing industry um, that is turning all that um, imagery into a kind of useful product um, for some some end user um, outside the space community. The prospects for those industries um, appear very, very bright because um, the Chinese economy is so large um, and it it is continuing to grow and the potential to harness um, the value of space, terrestrial applications of of space systems um, is very high. Chinese government policies and industrial policies specifically for these industries really emphasize uh, coordinating the development of of these large space programs with uh, plans for, for downstream industries that will turn them into goods and services that are usable and beneficial to ordinary people in in their daily lives. Xi Jinping has set many targets for China, and one of them is to make the country into a leading global space power by 2045. In your opinion, what does China have to do between now and then to make that goal a reality? China's progress in space activities over the past two decades has been significant and it's been steady. Um, And in in many respects, what the Chinese space establishment needs to do to um, achieve that long-term objective is to continue um, to stay the course. In the the very um, long term, let's say the long arc uh, bends in China's favor. China has an enormous internal market for goods and services um, that's guaranteed to sustain a lot of its space-related industries. Um, There is very strong demand from government customers and from a growing commercial uh, marketplace for space services. So those are all signals that point to a very very bright future for China's space companies and its overall space um, capacity. 
In addition to that, the Chinese government's uh, commitment, its political commitment to supporting the space program, um, as you said at the beginning of the program, is very strong and indeed unfaltering. Xi Jinping himself has um, uh, several times articulated the importance of space to China's national development. So in that sense, um, the Chinese space system or space establishment has charted for itself a course uh, for great achievement in space and so far has many of the basic satisfied the preconditions for realizing, uh, for, for in fact meeting the milestones along that course. If there are some risks that might imperil um, the pursuit of these space objectives, um, they're likely to be the same kind of risks that might imperil any other aspect of Xi Jinping's agenda for China's rejuvenation. So for example, if there were to be an overall macroeconomic downturn or some other um, economic deterioration that would compromise um, the, the country as a whole and, and government budgets writ large, that would certainly have a negative impact on China. The same thing would, uh, on, on the space program, I should say, the same thing would undoubtedly be true of any other kind of uh, political or societal disruption. But short of that, um, as best as we can tell right now, the conditions are very favorable for China's uh, scientists and engineers working on space programs. So how is China collaborating with other major space powers? And, you know, as part of that, maybe you can comment on your view of the limitations in U.S. laws that bar any space cooperation with China, whether you think that is in um, American interests, whether you think there are potentially some limited areas where the U.S. could work with China in space activity and space even research in the future. I think China's program is, is really best thought of in the terms that its leaders describe it to the world. Um, China's program is a national program. It is proudly independent at this moment in time, but it's open to international cooperation. It remains a national program defined by national objectives. It can proceed relatively independently, and it doesn't really need any input or favors or assistance from the outside world, at least not at this point in time. But in spite of that, it's open to international cooperation, so we do see a significant and, and in some sense growing collaboration with other space powers. Uh, for example, there are ambitious, ambitious missions that have been in the works and continue be, to be in the works uh, with Russia, a country uh, with which China's overall aerospace cooperation is growing um, and with whom the geostrategic relationship uh, might be tightening. There are also cooperative programs uh, between China and the European Space Agency and, and a record of success in that area. Beyond that, Chinese programs um, are, are probably quite remarkable in the extent to which they create opportunities for developing countries to either access space systems or to otherwise participate in space activities that they couldn't otherwise. So the Chinese space program has really set its own agenda, set its own course, um, but it has been able to seize opportunities for cooperation that is supportive of that agenda um, and supportive of the overall long-term ambition for, for the big elements of the program, whether it's the human spaceflight program, uh, the lunar program, uh, Mars exploration, or um, to some degree even Earth science and other space science um, activities. What that means for the United States 
Um, it probably means several things, but the, I think the, the most striking feature of, of China's advances is just the extent to which um, there are very, very few levers that the United States can really use um, to shape the course of Chinese space activities. China is a very large country uh, with a very large internal market, and so much of what happens today in its space industry is really driven by that tremendous uh, domestic potential. Uh, today, the U.S. has few goodies to withhold from China if it wanted to shape the course of its space activities, and it also has relatively few sticks that it could wave to try to coerce or, or compel um, a change in, in China's pursuit of capabilities. Now that's that's essentially the, the reality of the bilateral relationship now. There are very few points of contact between the United States and China, either at a diplomatic level or a practical working technical level or, or um, in terms of any kind of trade between their two space industries. The consequences of that are, are reduced um, U.S. understanding of and access into the Chinese space system. What the U.S. probably can do and where I think U.S. priorities really ought to focus uh, or, or really ought to lie is just on the development and the, the, the sustenance of U.S. space capabilities. All the U.S. can really do is focus on its own yard, um, and that means continuing to ensure that its own space activities uh, receive the investment they need, the public investment that they need, and the political support that they require. It also probably signals, I think, to the U.S. space community, but in general, perhaps, to people who think about science and technology um, in the United States, uh, that it's time for a reappraisal of what innovation today actually demands. It probably takes more public investment than we are typically prepared to acknowledge. It takes a political environment that is stable and shows a kind of predictable, it creates a predictability and stability um, in, in the policies that are going to shape some of these high-tech industries that really matter, like the space industry. Um, and it might even require a kind of reappraisal or a reevaluation of U.S. attitudes toward um, industrial policy and toward what it actually takes um, to sustain an innovative and modern economy, especially one that faces uh, competition from countries with very different um, political and economic models. Well, we've been talking with Dr. Alana Krolikowski, who's an assistant professor of political science at the Missouri University of Science and Technology. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you very much for having me. 